Hello and welcome to a two-part extravaganza of Straight From The Hot Tap. After a busy summer, we finally got together to record and, as usual, created a monster editing job, so we've put it into two parts. In this episode, things get a little ridiculous. We talk management buzzwords, creating a massive rock concert and frankly bizarre celebrity encounters. We also bring you a new section, Johnny's Wrongin' of the Week. This is definitely not for the easily offended. If for some inexplicable reason you enjoyed this episode, please like, share and leave us a rating on CastBox, Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. Please also subscribe to the show on CastBox. If you didn't enjoy the show, well why not take a glide path out of the box and build us a competency framework? I'm Matt. And I'm Blue. I'm John. I am Josh. And I'm Matt. And this is Straight, straight in the Hot Setter. We now have to have a discussion on whether Matt can play any further part in this podcast. Hashtag, <laughs> can't help being offensive. We're going to cancel you, Matt. Hashtag, sorry for breathing. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, cancel. <laughs> Hashtag, cancel. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, it's over. Lou, now we're descending into this farce. I heard a good chat up line the other day. Right on you. Oh, go on. Yeah, go for it. Imagine we've just met in a bar instead of over the internet. Mm-hmm. So uh, are you looking for a stud? You can answer. Uh, yeah. Well, I've got the STD. All I need is you. Oh, Jesus, God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so bad. That's so bad. What did Cinderella say when she got to the ball? What? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, so bad. That is fucking outrageous. <laughs> and I am going to tune out of this podcast. Matt, be nice doing business with you. Can we just stop this and start again? Because this can't go in. <laughs> so, welcome to the episode 20 of this podcast. After a summer delay, we are back in business. Well, this is the time of the show we call Matt gave you the brief to come up with a funny rant because it's been a while since we've been together and i'm sure in the last couple of weeks your life has just been a roller coaster of drama of fun of ridiculousness well what i would say to you is when isn't my life a roller coaster certainly the last month qualifies as a particularly high and badly supervised roller coaster (laughs) it's sort of probably like a thorpe park roller coaster you know that theme park thorpe park did you ever go there? It was like a sort of run-down version of Disneyland that was kind of like specialised in roller coasters, but ones that were, while simultaneously very dangerous, were also known for accidents. It'd be like some sort of rusty old roller yeah. coaster at Thorpe Park. I have to confess, I've come up with a number of alternative topics this time, and having had a particularly dramatic month, I'm going to steer clear of anything that will directly be the um, direct cause of my my anger at the moment but what i'll do is i'll give you a couple of topics first of all i obviously would delight in ranting against rich people who are not vaccinated seeing as i realized over this month in particular just how many of them there are i had no idea how many people were unvaccinated and all of it out of personal choice can I ask just purely, oh, because I don't actually look at the news or anything like that, yeah. is, is there a higher percentage of people in America who aren't vaccinated, a comparable percentage in the UK? I have no idea at all about the way the numbers, no. but that's a good question, actually, because the funny thing is, is that actually one of the prime examples of that is in London, is someone that I work with who's in London, who gave me this great speech over Zoom about how she doesn't think it's necessary to get vaccinated and all this kind of stuff so that's one of the subjects of my anger because COVID is not going anywhere no well it's with us for life like flu or any of the older diseases that we've vaccinated against they never go away they're always here but you just don't get them so much. you just don't get them because you have a, that's why vaccination is we now live in a culture of misinformation which has been amplified by various governing bodies that we don't need to go on about I actually had a new experience for me this month, which was I saw a program I've never seen before 
on TV and that I'm sure you guys have all seen, Top Gear. The replays or the new, or the new ones? The post Jeremy Clarkson was in a fight with the producer version. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, I'll watch it so that I can do a rant about... The Grand Tour. The Grand Tour. Because, you know, I don't really like Jeremy Clarkson. Is it because he's, like, looking in a mirror? He's reads the Telegraph, he's right-wing, he's a chauvinist, probably likes Bryce Johnson, not a nice person. But so I watched it, and I actually really enjoyed it. And I actually thought (laughs) Jeremy Clarkson was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Did that make you really cross? Yeah, so my attempt to do a fucking rant about Jeremy Clarkson and Top Gear and the Euro- and the Grand Trip, whatever, wasn't going to so, work. So basically, what you're doing is ranting about yourself for becoming middle-aged and starting to share opinions with Jeremy Clarkson. No, I don't share any of his opinions. I just think it's funny <laughs> the way he says them. And you're I also annoyed with yourself with the fact that you actually enjoyed watching the Grand Tour. Probably. And now that I'm learning to drive, I actually now appreciate cars a lot more. This is all linked to you driving. Yeah, because now, now I can drive pretty well, actually, and find cars much more interesting. And I've got to drive some pretty... F- effing incredible cars i have to say i so you're not driving a reasonably priced car around silverstone in the fastest possible lap <laughs> I'm, I'm not yeah which brings me to the subject of what i decided i actually will do a rant about wow was that not it no <laughs> God. It's just a pre-run rant yeah so my actual rant is about people who use the word pivot nothing gets to the deeply buried anger that exists in me like a an oil well than people who use the word pivot in casual conversation what do you mean give us an example yeah let me take it down for you right so you use the word pivot when you denote i'm gonna change the subject dramatically by 180 degrees i know it quite a lot it gets used in management speak lexicon i found people who use management speak in common parlance to be incredibly irritating and it's something that has actually dramatically increased over the last couple of decades because the idea that you're constantly running a business has become cool businessmen have gone from being like the bad guys in soap operas like jr in dallas or like the dodgy aussie guy that ran the boathouse in home and away to to being the heroes of society businessmen are now the heroes of society Maybe it's just slightly going the other way. We, you know, when uh, now that Jeffrey Bezos and Branson have blasted themselves into space and sadly come back again, we live in a society where basically everyone wants to imagine themselves as a businessman. Or culture has become monetized. People use management speak in a way that they never did. For example, I hear people talk about productivity, and I find this idea that you know everyone's pursuing their own ends all the time. Everyone's running a business efficiently. It's like I got an Uber this morning from the train station. I just got back, and the person's strength was listed as constantly pursuing my goal. How have we yeah. transitioned? What to get from A to B on time? <laughs> yeah, surely the whole job is about pursuing goals. How have we transitioned into a culture where? We're obsessed with the idea that everything's got to be run like a business and that being someone that monetizes everything and seeing your life as a business is a good thing because it is universally believed to be a good thing in your society, in my society, in in pretty much everywhere else, I believe. I would like to follow up with my choice management speak term that that both enrages but also it delights me when I hear it. So once Matt's finished, you come back to me and I'll do it because some of it is just gibberish. When you actually sit back and listen to what it means and what it it's often what it literally means, it doesn't actually make any sense in some environments. I could not agree more with this invasion of management speak into day-to-day life. People talking about that was a game changer. I just find it maddening because it's the idea that you should run your life as a business has effectively become universal law in 2021. So I had a good one the other day, actually. So I was asked to, to find a team manager uh, to support one of the, the ops people. And the main justification given was because the ops person needed to increase their bandwidth. Oh, for Christ's sake. He's got yeah. a problem with his yeah, Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to hijack your rant just for 30 seconds here. My number one hatred within business, and this definitely applies to my area of business within HR as well, is the idea of corporate values. I fucking hate oh. corporate values. 
I'll tell you why, because there's not a single company on the planet whose values can't be distilled to two things. Do your job, don't be a dick. Yeah. Don't be a dick, do your job. That's it. That's yeah. all any company yeah. out there needs in the way of values. Yeah. It's also just as like a marketing tool, the way it's something to put on the homepage of the website, whereas really the corporate values are a few people at the top will make a shitload of money while everyone else works like there are and dies prematurely of some work-related disease yeah from stress-related diseases or something that's how about values. this for corporate values sorry matt to hijack your hijacking of my rant Carol. i've walked past a van from a company called tyson krupp home solutions is this the same company that built the v2 bombs that dropped on london don't they yeah, do elevators of course they do. They, of course, it's the same company, you know. It's, but, but Matt, how would you describe corporate values? I understand the logic behind creating corporate values, which is to try and distill the essence and the culture of a company into a set of things that you can measure that then work across job evaluation and um, competency frameworks and all this sort of stuff. So I understand the logic of it. Mate, you just use the term competency frameworks. Right, exactly. So from an HR perspective, I understand what those are. I don't buy into it particularly. I don't they do serve is. a purpose, right? What is a competency oh, yeah, right. framework? So people's you know, ability to do their job is distilled into these highly complex, granular analyses of just stuff. So for example, in our work, like the guys that are doing the sales stuff, they, their job is to book sales appointments. You know, say your target's 10 sales appointments and somebody books 15 logically you'd say well done here have a bonus right but if you don't meet the competency of not being a dick then you're not going to mm. get your bonus do you know what i mean so i find them the most ridiculous thing so in the wrong hand in the right hands they're useful in the wrong hands you get a dick deciding whether you're a dick yeah right exactly yeah exactly and deciding whether you have the right kind of dick <laughs> the competency framework is just another stick to either beat you with or not give you a pay rise. Yeah, exactly right. So, so in the wrong hands. So, so for somebody that's a micromanaging, head pecking, angry with their dad sort of gimp, then they're going to use that framework to penalise you for having a piss for thirty seconds too long that day, and therefore ruining your chance of getting a mortgage. That's the kind of <laughs> taking so it to that degree. Whereas everyone was just measured on the output of their work, and nobody gave a shit about how they went about doing their work within reason. The most business would be profitable and successful. Did you do your job? Well, you're not a dick. Right, exactly. Keep your job. Thank you. Exactly. Carry on. So, Matt, I absolutely hear you. I do think that like, what happens in business, right, is business is generally very simple. It's just an exercise in supply and demand, isn't it? You either create demand or you find demand and you provide a solution or a product to meet with that. But people have overcomplicated it and turned it into this sort of mythological thing where only these magic people are able to succeed. And those magic people, in turn, try and distill their success into these sort of highly complex but often very obvious mantras that go into books and go into youtube presentations and all the rest of it and just people just lap it up whoever created the venn diagram you know it's like the most obvious thing in the world isn't it intersections of, of ideas and thoughts it's like but people create this over complex thing as a way of almost like monetizing the fact that they've done something clever once the thing is matt is that i feel like people want to create intellectual solutions for very complex life issues because everyone can understand an intellectual solution but it's much more difficult to deal with complex life issues the idea of like a secret or a formula or a, a thing that they can remember is incredibly attractive to a lot of people look, look i mean it's, it's like in my business it's like there's people who read these books about screenwriting and try and understand that there's a, a formula to write a script or like a rules you have to follow i mean the truth is there isn't any but there's been a huge transformation in society from when we were at school in taunton because the idea that life should be set up in this way is something that has been a huge transformation it's healthy to think of life as a business we fetishize people who give us the secrets at ted talk and who claim to know this wisdom that will make us like them what is the similarity between all of them is that all of them have a lot of money and they've made it in business honestly like the one thing that is respected in society is money. I think that that's a transformation from when we were younger. I mean, obviously it was always the case, but I feel like now more than ever.
Traffic Island Discs. The music I wanted to talk about for Traffic Island Discs, you know, I mentioned the song Setting Sun by the Chemical Brothers. Really, what I want to talk about is the album Exit Planet Dust, which I got as a Christmas present in 1995. I can honestly say, if anything changed my life in my 42 years, it was receiving this album. And I'll try and give you, in a brief as possible way, a kind of economic version of how and why it changed my life. First of all, the album cover. The album cover of Exit Planet Dust really spoke to me. If you haven't seen it, it's a picture of two people standing by a highway at sunset. It's an example of how powerful visual images can be. Images can speak to you in a way that words can't sometimes. And this simple cover image of Exit Planet Dust really shaped my consciousness in a subtle but powerful way just in 1995 as I was really beginning to think about my life in a serious way. I was starting to think about what I was going to do, what I wanted to do, and what I wanted out of life. I knew back then that I was different to virtually everyone at school in good and bad ways, but I had to actually think about how to turn that difference into practice and how to actually turn it into a realistic roadmap for my life. The image on the cover is of two people trying to get a ride beside a highway in what's obviously California. You know it's California because you can tell by the light. In California, we have the best, clearest light in the world. There's something special and unique about it. And I knew that even before I came to live here. So in the picture, these two people, they're a couple, obviously romantically attached. And this image told me everything that I want out of my life. I wanted to be the kind of guy that ended up in such a place. Otherworldly, ethereal, exciting. A total rejection of all this drabness around me that I saw when I was 15 in Somerset. And these two people by the side of the road basically summed up that life I wanted for me. I guess California summed up adventure, but also a place where everything is possible. And key to my mindset at the time, a place that you weren't judged for anything. The music on the album only compounded this image. The best songs on Exit Planet Dust are these otherworldly fusions between what they used to call techno music and rock music. And they tap, like all good music, directly into one's emotions. They're a complete departure from electronic music per se that you heard on the radio and which I was just getting into. And they captured something impossibly sad about the universe. It triggered my emotions, whatever this says about me, which by 15 were already attuned to deep melancholy. If you listen to the ending songs on the album, you'll see exactly how. And the intensity of the music and the effect it had on me were something that completely changed my mindset. Because at the time, my early teens, I was dominated by this feeling of sadness and pointlessness that I was experiencing at school because I felt like my life was over before it even began. I just couldn't see what I was going to do. At times, like that darkness is something that I've actually never managed to shake completely in my life. Even at times, by contrast, I've been very happy indeed. But obviously, I did manage to escape Taunton. It was primarily, and this is the fucked up part, by following that intensity of emotion at all times and rejecting everything that you were supposed to do that define what people call a middle-class life. I always hated everything to do with that. Boxing you in, making you value things that I just don't value. It's a personal subjective thing that it's just about me. I always hated the idea that I was this middle-class person supposed to do things that middle-class people did. So those two people standing by the side of the highway in California, that was the life I wanted. If you want to experience the Chemical Brothers, the song you should listen to is Setting Sun. It's probably one of their most experimental songs. Probably isn't even one of their best songs, but it's a song that ends by the music stops and it goes into the sound of an engine being shut off. And that boldness is pretty much all I care about. Recreate your youth this summer with Sam, Sun, Sex and Sangria with Lupson's Corruption, the 18 to 30s for 40s. The party for those who really should know better. Hit the strip in Benidorm and get literally legless with Sam's recreation of the classic bar crawl around Spain's premier resort for those too old to party like it's 1999. 
enjoy the infamous cabaret with old school reps, drink yourself stupid and eat a kebab whilst getting sunstroke, just like it was 20 years ago. For more information on Lupson's corruption, watch Teletext for 5 hours solid, not for the faint-hearted. There must have been over the years of working with really cool people and really successful people. There must be one or two things that you've taken away from those experiences that you regard as like life changing. That's probably a bit strong, but advice that's changed the way you work. So go on, what's the best bit of advice you've ever had? Don't have an ego. Whatever you do, don't have an ego. How's that going for you, Matt? I'm working on it every day, Matt. (laughs) It comes from my Hollywood mentor. It's the one thing he told me, and it's the one thing I noticed about him in public. And the one thing I notice about when I'm on a phone call with him, he's always the last person to speak and he always listens to everybody else before he says anything. You can get through life so much more easily if you're not thinking about what you deserve, what you're entitled to. I've had a very difficult summer and a lot of it's because having to maintain people's egos is just a very... Welcome to my job. <laughs> Welcome to everyone's job. Yeah. Josh, what's the best bit of advice you've had then, work-wise? Things you've learned from others in work. Well, what's the thing that you've taken away and you think, you know what, that's gold? I'm so much left on my own in that sense. Uh, you know, I don't... I, and I, I've never worked in a very corporate environment. Like, I've worked for sort of big companies, but not micromanaged like it would be in a large corporation. Like, Johnny would have experience with that. But I've heard all kinds of stories, like a, a friend of mine used to work for BP, for example. And, you know, they're just so micromanaged. They couldn't walk up the steps without holding the rail. They couldn't do two steps at a time because of safety. They had to walk up one step at a time and down one step at a time. There was a piece of fruit waiting for them on the desk every morning. So they had to eat some piece of fruit okay. for working for BP. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I literally am so happy I've never worked in that kind of environment because it would literally make me go absolutely mad. But I think in terms of the people I deal with in this job, and I suppose it's just advice I've come up with, you just come up with observation rather than being taught them, I suppose. But I think it's just a question of doesn't matter what position you're in, whether you're like the big boss man or not. I think it's just a question of like treating other people with respect and politely because it's amazing how much power you have to to mess up someone's day by being a complete dick. You really can. Yeah. I think surely everyone's experienced that. Of course they have, yeah, yeah. But some people wield such power, especially in like a service-related industry. You could obviously be doing something, you know, organising something for them like I do, or you could be just serving them a drink or a coffee or something. But some people lord it over other people and make it known that they're important and they often use it obviously they want something they want something that they know deep down is being cheeky or or just outright outrageous you know and they use that power to get it and obviously that's that's nothing new i guess what i've learned is just one don't do that yourself and two if someone does it to you call them out even if there's some big swinging dick just don't kowtow to them i found myself having done that quite a lot and i've got to this point obviously i wish i'd been like this you know when i was younger but now i'm like i'm not having that a few years ago i'd be like oh yeah sorry yeah kind of yeah sure so i just would say don't do that (laughs) i think when you're younger you're a lot more eager to please people yes no definitely then you can get taken advantage of and in lots of senses obviously but certainly in a work sense as well can i tell you my it may not be the best piece of advice it was a piece of advice i was given when i was a graduate and it was literally in my first week at work and this was 20 years ago now so there was still a sort of culture of going to the pub for lunch and then sort of like staggering <laughs> back and, and finishing off a few hours of work and I got taken to lunch on my first week by one of the sort of the old guys in the office you know nice guy and we was he the guy who liked real ale oh, no, did no, you do no, the five no, stellar no, challenge no this guy really loved there was definitely some lager involved I think <laughs> no this guy really loved lighthouses strangely his advice to me and it, it's not particularly motivating but it really stuck with me was you know this is what I got told and I always tell everyone you who starts here and that is if it's late, you're going to get bollocked. If it costs too much, you're going to get bollocked. But if it doesn't work, <laughs> you're going to get sacked. <laughs> Love it. What? I love it. He said it with a smile on his face. It really is. That's actually right really sound advice. Yeah. yeah. Genuinely, though, I think things break because people are frightened of getting a bollocking. So people, they hide things and they of course. Per- persist with bad ideas or badly thought out plans yeah. because they're frightened of things being late or, or getting bollocks. And actually, it's so true. you're better so off taking th- the pain. The thing I think as well is that the most important quality, particularly in the areas I work, is respect. And to a certain degree, 
knowing some specialist knowledge. But the most important thing is just communication. I guess this goes back to Matt's point. But if you can clearly communicate your point or you can choose when to communicate at a point, then suddenly all of the noise you can cut through. Sometimes the, the people who carry the most gravitas in meetings are not the people who are just talking gibberish and management speak, but someone who will just talk mm. a very straightforward you need to do this. I want you to do this. Please, what is the answer? So, something like that. Something quite specific and simple. So what you're saying, Johnny, if you get your messaging right, then the trickle-down effect through the workforce <laughs> will enable buy-in from That's the lower ranks, much. which will in return right. result in synergy. And everyone's bandwidth being increased. If you, oh, come on, Matt. <laughs> if you leverage the wealth and take the temperature of the audience, then can I give you my favourite? Oh, God. So in all projects, we're always like on deadlines. There's always like stage gates. There's no one. But my f- absolute favourite is glide path. Oh, um, no. What? Uh, what is a glide path? Glide path is like, it doesn't mean anything. It's an abstract concept or as in you're moving towards making a decision and you're getting all the things kind of ready so that you can ratify the decision. But literally, the first time I heard it, there was- So a- you're basically oh, just at the idea stage. You're at the idea stage. Yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, so bad. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> Lee, what was the best advice or thing that you've observed over your years of generally dodging the tax man? That's not fair. Get a good accountant, <laughs> preferably someone good of- in the family. Dealing cash, right, Matt Black? Cash only? Yeah, Matt Black meets him around the back of the pub, cash. He'll be smoking <laughs> a Benson, eyes hidden behind his Yankees cap. No, I mean, just be straight with people. I've always found that actually being straightforward and saying what you think is the best way doesn't go down well with some people, but that's just the way it goes. But yeah, you gave me some very good advice, Matt, when I joined the company that we both work for. And it was, as we've said many times tonight, do your job, don't be a dick. And I've got promoted twice since then, so... Matt's management speak is paying off, yeah. Yeah. I think the best thing I've ever picked up, really, this is a bit cliche, but I really like it, is don't try and teach a fish to climb a tree. I I like that. (laughs) Because the reason I like it is because... (laughs) (laughs) I think quite often we try and do things that we're not very good at or qualified (laughs) to do particularly... Stick to your strengths, isn't it? I think that's what we're trying to say here. You know, delegate to people's strengths. Find out what they're good at. Right, right. Stick to your strengths. You know what? There's nothing worse in life. Having worked for several really bad bosses, nothing worse in life than people who intentionally try and make you do something you're not very good at. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I completely endorse that. Can I just speak up yeah. and just say a point here? Because we're talking about if you don't like something. I think we're straight from the hot tap. We're not the kind of group that prejudice against the African tree fish. And let's just... Um, <laughs> come on, let's just respect. Come on. Yeah. The African tree Is that the one where you can get only the very finest caviar? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, God. It just reminded me, though, this was years ago at my old company, and we all had this big company meeting, and it was with the marketing manager, and they were discussing their sort of marketing strategy for the company. He was sort of drawing this diagram, or had the sl- probably like a slideshow, and he was describing something called the purple cow scenario. What was that? What? I can't <laughs> fucking remember what it was. But all I remember is the term purple cow scenario. I'm thinking, how ridiculous. And I just thought that is exactly what we're talking about. We were recreating Glastonbury or Woodstock in Taunton. Taunton Stock. Glastonbury. What would we call it? Taunton Stock. I don't know. What would be a good name for it? I just don't know. It's it's not a very good word for wordplays, is it? Maybe you can do a couple of jingles, which I have to say, Matt, are sorely missing recently from recent podcasts. Are the jingles that. Woodstock in Taunton, then. First of all, where are we putting it? Where would you put a massive it's, rock festival? I mean, it's got to be Vivery Park, surely. I yeah. Mean, do you think? In the bandstand, instead of the pyramid stage? It'd be a bit embarrassing, though, wouldn't it, if mid-solo, the headliner gets hit by a golf ball sliced from the third tee at Vivery Park Golf Course. Yeah, that they'd have to shut that down. But... Yeah, there aren't many venues. How about the rooftop of the old Debenhams? 
its fairly central location, blasting out some ACDC covers down the high street whilst people get intoxicated with the roast coffee from county <laughs> stores. In fact, there's probably quite a few flat rooftops. That could be the thing, couldn't it? The rooftops along past from Debenhams all the way down the high street could all have different different mega bands. Yeah. Stage dive could be fatal. <laughs> <laughs> One side it's like a also a cliff diving competition into the tone. As long as it's high tide, otherwise again, death. Well it's death anyway, because you're gonna hit a shopping trolley even at high tide as soon as you <laughs> enter the water. <laughs> Yeah, I like that idea. That's definitely good. But what would the lineup be then if you could do it in Taunton? What would be fitting for Taunton? Annoyingly, you'd have to probably get the Wurzels back, wouldn't you, just to do something, even if it's on a small stage. Who are the other sort of Somerset? There's lots of Somerset-based bands. Well, Portishead are down the road, aren't they? Portishead, yeah, they're down in Portishead, or they were, probably in like Hollywood now. Reef, I think Reef are from... Cornwall, um, aren't they? Oh, are they from Cornwall? Oh, okay. West Country, for sure. There's a band called Root Juice, actually, that were, that were quite popular for about two and a half hours in the 90s that were from Cornwall. They were quite good. Yeah. Um, the Levellers. Were the, the Levellers from something. The Levellers were, I think, I, know, I think the Levellers might have been Irish, actually. But they... I think you've just listed all the people who played at uh, my Freshers' Fair when I went to uni. <laughs> <laughs> just then. <laughs> Plus, um, right, said Fred. Spin Doctors. Oh, the Spin Doctors. I was listening to them the other day. A song came up. Amazing. So I thought what would be quite fun for this would be a concert of tribute bands with amusing names. I've always loved tribute bands because I've often found them better than the real thing. But there's loads of tribute bands out there with really amusing pun names. So, for example, Noasis are particularly good. Or I tell you, this has got a local thing as well, because if you remember down in Longleat, there was, wasn't that where Mr. Blobby came from oh yeah isn't it? i think something um, like that yeah yeah mr blobby he was released was, was from one of the enclosures down in Longleat. he grew up there there's a real tribute act called blobby williams oh so no. yeah, i thought you could have blobby williams supported by actual mr blobby from down at crinkly bottom in no. can i can i just say Longleat. can i just say that this concert sounds crap <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it might have to be a free concert. It's like a sympathy concert. Yeah. It's like the hospital radio of concerts. It is definitely. Yeah, with the cricket theme as well, there's a U2 for two. Really? Or Duran, Duran, Duran is another real life tribute act. For God's sake. Oh, oh God, Matt, why? The favourite one I've ever heard of was a Nirvana tribute act called Burt Cocaine. Is this like some kind of new drug? It is, yeah, it is. This is an American band that, that blends a love of rock music with a love of Star Wars called Aerosith. <laughs> so bad. Really? <laughs> What we could do is think about the, these tribute bands with pun names but based on things in Taunton. I, I'm going to open up with the, the Rolling Tones. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it looks like Lincoln Park, you've got Vivery Park. <laughs> oh, no. Why? What is... No. <laughs> Any concert based on crap tribute acts in Taunton, the headliner has to be a tribute act called Big Dick, which is uh, the real-life tribute act of Little Richard. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. Needs a bit of work on the PR, I think, to be honest. I think so. I'm not sure if this one's going to fly. If they're on top of the disused Debenhams, I think they should be incentivized to to really rock it by the crowd having the detonator to the building. (laughs) 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 Anyway, I think it's time for Lou's Reviews. Meh, this is Lou's Reviews. (laughs) Oh, there we go. I like the other one. Thanks. <laughs> this time we've had two reviews. The first one is, it says, Hi there, we've been trying to get in touch with you regarding your recent purchase of our award-winning turf chopper. If you could review the 
uh, award-winning non-scrape technology, that would be awesome. And let us know how you got on with the ball freshener spray. Let us know what you think, Matt, and drop us a rating. Looking forward to hearing from you from Smooth My Balls. Not again. <laughs> I've asked them for a, a freebie. They're not forthcoming with it, to be honest. They keep asking for me to buy stuff and then rate it, which doing it with I'm not spending my hard-earned dollar on their substandard technology. Thanks, Smooth My Balls. So just to go back on that, though, Luke, have you not used the Smooth My Balls, Matt? I, I understood they sent you a, a free ball trimmer. When I actually dug into it, they wanted me to buy one. Well, even after we talked then, about them for 30 minutes. I know. <laughs> right. So I went back to them. In fact, I actually emailed them. I'm reading the message I sent them. The real thing is that right. Matt never got back to them, actually. Oh, I did go back to them. I, I read you did this. You actually... I'm actually, no, I did actually email them. I'll read you the message I sent. They didn't come back to me, which I was quite surprised by, by to be honest, because they read the, the message fairly soon after I sent it, but they didn't actually abide by my terms. So this is the message I wrote to them. So, so the guy was called Nick. So he sent me a message saying, the program's ending very soon, so please get on it, basically. There's a few slots left. If you're interested, every purchase comes with a chance to win a PS5. And the winner is announced after it ends by the best review. So that was their message to me. So I wrote a message back saying, Hi, Nick. Sorry I didn't get back to you sooner. We've been a little busy growing our podcast. Initially, we were a little sceptical about your email and by extension, your product. After some research, it would seem that your safe sack technology very much depends on your sack. Those blessed or maybe cursed with a large and pendulous set of balls seem to be reporting issues with multiple lacerations, oh. blood everywhere, constant <laughs> nicks and cuts, being comments seemingly repeated across different review sites. However, there are also some satisfied, silky smooth customers, by all accounts, suggesting those with much more modest scrotums, in brackets I put sports sacks, seemingly unscathed by the sharp blades and powerful chopping mechanism. I'm going to make you an offer. My podcast is increasingly popular with a global audience. Might have exaggerated a little bit. It is particularly well received in the west of England, which by coincidence is also home to a particularly hirsute and scrotally gifted population. Did you actually uh, write this? Did you actually send this? I did. You actual I, lunatic. I did. So I, I tried to bring Josh in because obviously he's a professional. In oh his my god! Areas, one of our podcast hosts is also particularly hairy. And in brackets, I put think baby mountain gorilla. Yeah, sorry about um, that. So, <laughs> so he may well, so he may well benefit from some of the features your product offers. If you send us a device free of charge plus a discount code, we will review the product on our podcast and give listeners the code to purchase from your website. We will also put links on our social. If feasible, we may even do a live recording session, which might be amusing but might also give listeners additional confidence to purchase from you. What do you think? And um, I've heard nothing back. Oh, my God. You might have overcooked it a little bit. There with I think. The, with your sort of generalisation about the anatomical <laughs> characteristics of the southwestern population. When did you send that? About a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I think as well, Matt, you should have given him some feedback and you should have said, look, I think the fact that the main marketing guy for Smooth My Balls is called Nick is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so I sent that on the 23rd of July, and it's been seen, but he's not responded. Oh, my God. I can, so you actually got around sending it? Yeah, I did. Well, we wanted to get some more content out of me. I wanted to get a free turf chopper, if <laughs> honest, because for really? the amusement value. Partly because they seem like they work in some situations. You know? so, so for, the, for the anniversary 20th episode, when you shave your balls live on air, are you just going to use a Wilkinson sword or a <laughs> Gillette? I'm just going to get the lawnmower going and turn it upside down and lower myself gently onto it and hope for the best. <laughs> Man dies from... Yeah. <laughs> in pursuit of podcast glory what would the sun headline be it's like horrible histories stupid deaths oh yeah like yeah, the it would, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> fly mo to the moon <laughs> I mean to Straight out of the mean streets of SW8, Superman's best friend, Dan Carter's life coach and the man they call the face of Specsavers. The wire-avoiding international man of mystery, Josh. This is Taunton Matters. I love that intro. <laughs> what can I say? 
all I can do is open it up with this from Daniel Mumby. A mixture. Daniel Mumby. 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 Stop it. Oh, God. <laughs> Taunton, as you know, is obsessed with Debenhams and who is going to turn what into flats. And so this is news that not only are they turning the Debenhams on the high street into flats, but this is his post saying that, and this is from somersetlive.co.uk, not only is the main shop, but the Debenhams back office could become flats. So no you, way. Know, you, you heard it here second. Oh, come on. Is, is there no respect? I know. So basically, I think property developers have obviously got, they've got a vendetta against Debenhams and, and they won't stop until they've turned every Debenhams in the country into a block of flats. Why don't they just turn the Debenhams in Taunton into a museum to Debenhams? That'd be nice. A Blue Cross sale every Tuesday. Yeah. I can only imagine. You could have, the gift shop could be half-priced underwear rather than pens in the shape of arrows and things. Lena Drummond has asked... Where's the best place for a Sunday roast in Taunton and or Wellington? Lena, you haven't been listening to our podcast clearly, but it's not the Greyhound in Stapleford's Pain. Is it Stone Gallows? <laughs> yeah. Stone Gallows, Iron Nails. They're more of a surf and turf kind of place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Extra iron supplements. <laughs> this is a harrowing tale from a lady called Charlie Rushton. And I think that this also, I just have to ask Matt, were you driving in the Taunton area last night? Her post reads, Hey, last night I was behind a man who ran over a cat. (laughs) (laughs) We both got out and the guy just left me with this cat as as it was really, (laughs) it was really injured. I phoned RSPCA and they sent me to an out of hours vet on Cannon Road. And the cat was hit outside Blackbrook Leisure Centre. So, Matt, I hope you got home okay, but think twice again before you start running cats over. Now, you just chuck it in the bin again, Matt. <laughs> confess later after spanking it to make sure it wasn't yeah. you know, still alive. <laughs> With your slippers. Warm it up in the tumble dryer. <laughs> Probably my favourite of the week. No, it's quite late. I'm not dead. I'm just very badly hurt. I got, but um, this one's from a, <laughs> a lady called Nikki, Nikki Hardwell. She writes, "Does anyone know of a lady in?" <laughs> I'll be back, you fucker, meow. <laughs> Shout on your pillow. Meow. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did was shit on your pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, George. Carry no, on. No, no, no. I, I mean, another story is gripping Taunton at the moment, and it's the story of, of a duck in Vivery Park who, sadly for the duck, has got some plastic over its beak, and people are asking about it. Gareth Cornell is asking, does anyone have any updates on the duck at Vivery Park with the plastic around its beak? Has it come off yet? Haven't seen anything today. Someone else says that they got up pretty close to get it onto land and tried to encourage hand feeding, feeding the ducks. I, I, I hand fed others, but she was very twitchy. Is that just like a, a taunted version of feeding the pony? This is a very long post, but they couldn't catch her. They've updated the RSPCA, and I think someone's bringing a fishing net to try and catch it and remove the plastic around its beak. So I'm sure there'll be an update next time, but there have been a lot of posts actually about this duck in Vibri Park. Josh, though, mate, I honestly think you should probably dispatch yourself down to Taunton to get on that live. You know, if you're a real Taunton journalist correspondent, you should probably go down there and be there when the plastic comes off. I should. Actually, you're probably right. It's like the birth of a baby panda. That'd be a momentous moment. What do you think a duck's reaction would be when it's finally freed from its plastic hell? Only one way to find out. Got to be there. Don't do a dentist on <laughs> me. I'll get in the car after this with my fishing net. This is one from Nikki Hardwill. She says, does anyone know of a lady in School Road, Monkton Heathfield, who did personal clairvoyant readings? I saw her a long while ago and can't remember her name and don't want to just knock on her door. And there's a comment underneath from this guy called Matt Dean who says, if she's any good, she'll be in touch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's absolutely 
genius. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> this one's right up my up my street. Emma Daniel is sharing an event, and it's happening in parks around Taunton this weekend. It's called Pick Up and Picnic, but I like it. So basically, it means that people gather in the parks to pick up rubbish together and then sit down and enjoy a picnic. Which I think it's quite a cool idea. I like that. As long as, as long as in turn they pick up their picnic stuff and put it in the bin. Otherwise, you know. Yeah. 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 There'll be more duck related incidents. That's right. They can sort of pick their plastic can holders off Dennis's, not Dennis, Dennis the duck's beak. <laughs> Ed the duck. Ed the duck. <laughs> Donald. Howard the duck, wasn't it? That weird film. So this is the last one, but this is from Angela Hoskin. She writes in very big posts, says, can you collect from the back of Argos again now? Collect and um, someone's replied... <laughs> <clears throat> His Matt Black to Simon's very kindly replied. Simon says it is, but if you ask, they can take it around the back and uh, give it to you there after paying at the front. I just don't know what's so funny about that at all. <laughs> I think that's torn to matters this week. Thank you very much. Very good. Well, I've seen some ridiculous things, but that is uh, right up in the top ten. All the way from down under, the square shoe wearing, most lager loving, bat toweling, ice loving, and engineering G. This is Summer Bay's finest. Here's Johnny. And now he's placed his lips upon his ball. I reckon this is brilliant. <laughs> Matt's not on the call anymore, but we haven't even discussed, you know, second born of the queen of this country, the oh false admiral, the Duke of oh Port. Oh my god. But you know, the real is Duke of Port. I just thought maybe an online podcast isn't the right place to discuss an FBI investigation on that. If this podcast isn't a place to discuss it, I don't know where it is. I just know the FBI, and they're probably like a bit all over this. I don't want to muddy the waters for their investigation. I think maybe a preemptive potential alleged wrong of the week. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe what I'm going to probably do is leave the story to Bill for a week, see if he makes the sort of guilty dash to the States early next week. What I can offer is my Rolf Harris story. (laughs) Go on. I was in San Francisco and it was, this was a long time ago. I was in San Francisco. And this, this was a long time ago. It's like 19 or 20 years ago. So, you know, I was young, dumb, and in San Francisco. I think there's a song around that, isn't there? And, uh, it was when I was in Costa Rica and I'd arranged to rendezvous with Lizzie in San Francisco at Christmas. I flew to San Francisco. My flight got there. 10 hours earlier than her so I was just going to kick around at the airport and so I was just hanging around the arrivals hall for whatever it was I fell asleep and there was like an hour or so before her flight so I thought I'd just go and freshen up and change my clothes a bit of sleep on the seats and stuff so I went to the toilet and it was just a straightforward public toilet basins down one side urinals some stools and so I put my wash bag on the side and went for a piss and was just there pissing and then <laughs> it was empty when i walked in and and then i i just i just became aware of someone next to me pissing and it was kind of like what you know the unwritten rule of the bloke's toilet you know social distancing kind of thing i don't want to exaggerate but i felt a chill descend on me um, <laughs> a sort of cold gaze fall upon me and i looked across and Rolf Harris was standing next to me. Oh my god! And yeah, he was like, he was having a piss, and I was having a piss. We were just, a, you were having a piss together. I just finished up. Yeah. Did you catch each other's eye? <laughs> there was eye contact at that point, which was a bit like, mm, okay, you know. Did he draw a cartoon? <laughs> yeah. Did he stand back on the urinal and fire a, a long jet in an arc? Yeah. And then say, you know what it is yet. He was drawing with he was he was drawing with his piss on the urinal. What else playing the didgeridoo? <laughs> yeah, oh. Humming away. So I went to the I finished up, finished my piss, went to the basins and yeah, washing my hands. And I looked up in the mirror and he was in the mirror. I caught his eye again in the mirror. He was just doing his flies up and 
we had a yeah strange look for a while an awkward moment exactly like a scene in reservoir dogs when tim roth's in the toilet and he's like eye contact with the policeman and it's just like the long it all slows down and but then he left i remember thinking it was going to be and then he yeah then he <laughs> then he asked me if he'd like to tie my kangaroo down um <laughs> he, he uh <laughs> right sport you're an aussie aren't you uh yeah i can tell uh the thing i remember about it your laces are done on your square <laughs> shoes mate <laughs> yeah mate you're a long way from home us aussies should stick together the thing i remember was that he didn't wash his hands it's a bit of a like celebrity encounter that I was just like uh, he went down in my estimation. Uh, this was all before all this sort of criminal stuff really came out. It is weird though when you have yeah. an encounter in somewhere unusual with with somebody famous. I I got invited to the opening of Wembley in whenever it was two thousand and two or something. We had this corporate table and in this sort of swanky lounge in Wembley. There's quite a few famous people milling around, but the game itself was really boring. It was United against Chelsea, and not a lot happened basically. But I remember being really most interested in the golfers that were there. So there was Colin Montgomery, Paul Casey, Lee Westwood, all these guys had a table together. And I went to the loo and I suddenly realised that I was stood next to Ernie Els. And so we kind of exchanged pleasantries. Then I just had this overwhelming urge to see how big his cock was. (laughs) I just couldn't. I just, it was just the weirdest thing. I just thought to myself, it's Ernie Els world-famous golfer, I wonder how big his cock is. And I remember afterwards being quite disturbed by my thought process. We exchanged pleasantries and enjoyed the rest of your day. And I did, it has to be said, resist the urge. I did resist it, but I had this, like, a compulsion to, to see how big his cock was, you know. But, <laughs> but, but the funny thing is, I told the story to some other guys I know. We all, we all could laugh about it. And I got a call from Jeremy some months later i didn't pick it up until a voicemail he was off his face and he's like matt i've just been to the rugby in cardiff and so we stopped at services on the way out and i found myself having a piss next to colin charvis and i couldn't resist checking out how big his cock was and he's got a massive cock <laughs> and he's like me honestly it's like five mars bars so taped together <laughs> And he just gave me this like ridiculous, drunken, highly detailed rundown of Colin Charles's cock. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> there used to be like a bit in Viz. I don't know if they still did it. And it was celebrity sword crossing. And it was, it, there was a slot about any celebrities you had a piss next to. And then it was always, you kind of would get, I mean, this is Viz. You'd get bonus marks if you did literally cross swords with them. You cross the streams. <laughs> oh, God. Literally straight from the hot tap. How did we get to this? <laughs> We've gone down a very dark alley today. Yeah. That, thankfully, takes us to the end of the show. My heartfelt apologies for tuning in. There were no shout-outs for this one. Not least because I doubt any Taunton businesses want to be associated with such nonsense. Thanks instead to those people behind Operation Utree, without whom Rolf Harris could still be free to terrorise people in airport toilets. This was straight from the hot tap. <laughs>